Creating an employee upskilling strategy is an imperative if you want to attract and retain top talent. Fortune 1000 companies are realizing that connecting their employees with opportunities to learn new skills and advance their careers should be part of their recruiting, retention, and talent pipeline strategies. But there are also several challenges to consider. That's why we've called in Megan O'Connor, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Chegg Skills. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, outperformance coach and author of Winning the Talent Shift. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. Megan O'Connor is the head of strategic partnerships at Chegg Skills, where she is focused on expanding Chegg's footprint in the skills, education, and professional certification space. Prior to Chegg, Megan was an entrepreneur in residence at Kaplan Test Prep and the founder and CEO of Clark. Prior to its acquisition by Noodle, Clark was funded by leading venture investors, including Lightspeed Venture Partners. Megan, welcome to Voices of HR. Wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we are so excited for this conversation because you just keep hearing the words skilling, upskilling, reskilling, skilling everything. And I think there is both a lot of confusion out there as it's gained some popularity in the press. And you have also stated that some companies are really starting to engage in the topic as well. So it feels like there's confusion, but yet there's a little bit of engagement. I see those who are engaging maybe on the front end or the cusp of this new trend. So could you maybe help us first understand what is skilling and reskilling and upskilling? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I mean, no one should feel bad for not totally understanding this <laughs> landscape because I will say the pandemic heightened the need for upskilling, reskilling, mm. and really increased the velocity that major corporations were participating in educational benefits. Mm. Um, so this conversation is still a new one and an evolving one, um, but one that's definitely worth participating in. Yeah. To start, I will say, you know, there's a massive workforce out there. And during the mm. pandemic, we saw specifically the frontline workforce obviously have to stop what they were doing. And then we saw corporations frantically trying to scramble to rehire the frontline workforce that they were looking mm -hmm. for. So things like hospitality, retail, those were sectors that were looking to uh, acquire uh, a labor force as quickly as possible. And one of the things they did is they offered skilling as a means to recruit the workforce that they were looking for. Mm. Uh, skilling is a great benefit for somebody to enter into a job that they might not previously have any expertise in, be able to learn on the job and start making money. And then when you think about the difference between reskilling and upskilling, reskilling is really a way to kickstart your career in a new field. So let's say maybe you work within an organization as an hourly shift worker and they have an educational benefit program. Mm -hmm. You can reskill, meaning learn a new set of skills and pivot your career maybe to something more aligned with a, a sector that's taking off, that has lots of opportunity for in-demand jobs. We think about upskilling as once you're starting to emerge into the middle skill area of your career. And that's where you're starting to tune up 
for lack of a better word. You're learning things like maybe you're a software engineer and data is becoming a much more prevalent part mm-hmm. of the role that you're working in. Or obviously in the world that we live in today, you're learning AI fundamentals because those are now necessary for you to do your job. So upskilling is more of like a lifelong path. You're never going to stop upskilling if you want to continuously be relevant for the jobs that are necessary um, and the the opportunities that are available to you today. And then reskilling is really think about course correction. You're on one path. You can reskill and start another path. That is such a like I can completely understand that explanation because we talk a lot on this podcast about how the world has accelerated. Mm-hmm. And much more so since COVID and technology enhancements and women entering the workplace, there's a lot of change and it has accelerated in its pace. There's also this need for talent. Yeah. And whether you call it a war for talent, we're on talent, whatever it is, companies need great talent in order to remain profitable. And so I really see this as not only an acquisition strategy, but as a retention strategy. Yes. I mean, the thing is, 81% of workers would be interested in skills training if paid Mm. for by their employer. And think about it. If your employer paid for you to go through that skills training, whether it be reskilling or upskilling later in your career, you're going to grow a lot of affinity for the company that sponsored your ability to do that education. Not to mention the fact, to your point about retention, you will keep being employed by that company for the duration Mm -hmm. of your education with the hopes that you can apply what you've learned to the company that funded it. So yes, we've seen major corporations target being a real leader in the space, understanding that um, an employee's intent to stay Mm -hmm. is really impacted by the investment that their employer makes in their skills training. Yeah, that's so interesting because I've also heard on the flip side, as this was starting to gain momentum in the press, some executives would say to me, you know, and it was a little bit, I guess, of a visceral reaction to Mm -hmm. it because they really didn't know exactly what all this was defined as or meant, but it was, okay, so what if I spend all this money upskilling, reskilling my workforce and they end up leaving? And the answer is some of them will, but it's short-sighted mm-hmm. to think that the investment that you're going to make in skilling your workforce is going to result in a mass exodus. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you can do, and I would say to you know the executives that you had that conversation with, if that's your concern, it's probably because you don't have career pathway opportunities internally at your corporation. Mm-hmm. We found by and large, our research shows that employees want to scale to advance the career that they're on within the corporation that they currently work for. So mm-hmm. let's say you work at McDonald's and you engage in a program that's sponsored by your company is because you want to work, move up the corporate ladder and continue to work at McDonald's. Right. Now, the issue is Not all employers have figured out the internal piping of how do I take the Mm -hmm. graduates of different programs, whether it be anything from a software engineering course to a frontline manager training course that we offer to our workforce, and upon graduation, make them candidates for open Mm -hmm. roles internally. I'm not going to lie to you. That is a hard job to do that matching internally, open roles for people who are newly skilled in the um, raw talent skills you need in order to succeed. But if done well, and if um, employees can see room for advancement internally based on the knowledge they're acquiring, then you're going to have no problem in terms of retaining your workforce. 
So we have a lot of HR pros that listen, obviously, to our podcast. If you were advising them, when should they start thinking about a skilling strategy for their organization? Yeah. I mean, the answer is now. The the mass marketplace is engaged in this. And I will say it is a labor market um, market right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opportunities for both frontline and mid-skilled employees. And so if you want to have the right talent and the right jobs and continuously have the talent base that you need for the evolving jobs that you're going to be hiring for, your skilling strategy should start today. Now, there's kind of two ways to think about it in terms of how you get started. One is, how do you have the best workforce doing the jobs that they're currently hired for today? And those can be things from everything like teaching them workplace norms that can be continuously doing management training. Um, Digital literacy is a course that we developed um, in the Mm. last year that has been extremely successful with our Fortune 1000 um, uh, clients because they find that it makes it so that way their entire employee base does a better job at the job that they're hired for. And at the end of the day, people want to feel like they're excelling at the role that they're doing. People get a lot of motivation and they stay at their jobs if they can see themselves becoming better at it. In addition to that, when you think about where you're going in the future, You're going to be doing a lot of hiring that you haven't done previously because of where we are in the world of AI. You're going to hire for skills that you had never hired for before. The fastest way to get the talent you need into those new emerging roles Mm -hmm. is to train the talent you already have. It's also Mm -hmm. a lot cheaper, too. And Mm -hmm. so thinking about what are the jobs of tomorrow that your company is going to need to succeed, work backwards in terms of acquiring the programs, the skilling programs you're going to need Mm -hmm. to fulfill those roles, and then recruit from within allow people this opportunity. Um, And like I said, the ripple effects of you rolling out a strategy like this will create retention across every level of the organization. So as I'm listening to you, I guess I I have a question around, so I'm sitting in HR, I go through the strategic exercise that you just described, look ahead, what skills are you going Mm -hmm. to need in order to execute probably a strategic agenda um, at the higher levels, right? And you're trying to figure out then how that's going to impact your people. And it's better to retain individuals than have to hire in a -hmm. whole new workforce, right, for the future. How does HR identify who those people are or do they recruit them? Or is there a little bit of both? Yeah, such a good question. It all starts with your managers. So Mm. at the end of the day, your managers are probably the most overworked but most valuable assets that you have internally. And our research also shows that manager turnover in today's market is higher than it's ever been. Mm. And that's simply because they have a hard task in front of them. So my first advice to all of your listeners is invest in your managers. They need you Mm. and they are the linchpin to succeeding on whatever strategy you're going to do moving forward. Um, Managers know what talent that they would continue to invest in. They know what talent is interested in raising their hand and doing more. And managers also know what they're lacking in terms of the current knowledge of the workforce that they are overseeing. So I would start by saying, get that group together and have them advise on where you should be making the investment. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, you're absolutely right about those managers and a really great manager if you invest in them as well, wow, you can see exponential benefits to your bottom line. I mean, there's all kinds of studies that do that. So 
real quick, let's stay on this topic for a second. So for managers, Mm -hmm. what are some skills that they're going to need in the future? Because I do talk to a lot of executives. I consult with a lot of executives and they know that that is one of their biggest areas of opportunity Mm -hmm. is how do I keep my managers upskilled? What we're seeing in a lot of the industries that we partner with, and we have clients across many of them, but I will say this is quite true for those in retail, hospitality, and things akin to the restaurant industry, is that oftentimes strong individual contributors get promoted into manager because they were really good at doing their job. But then once you become a manager, that doesn't mean you suddenly grow all of these management skills. Like that's a new muscle that you need to develop. And so managers, first and foremost, need to know things like how to communicate with your teams, how to distill knowledge that you have as a strong IC, individual contributor, to people who are going to be doing that cross-functionally, how to motivate a workforce. So things like that, you know, if you don't have your own bespoke manager training, we recommend partnering with a skills provider to mm-hmm. roll one out. Because like I said, just because you're really good at your job, and it's amazing if you are really good at your job and get yeah. promoted, that doesn't mean you know how to be a manager. The second thing that managers need training in today is how to talk about upward mobility. Because like I said at the top of the call, mm. Being able to communicate to your workforce that there are opportunities for promotion, our research also shows that the number one reason you are going to lose your workforce is because they feel like there isn't an opportunity to excel internally, that they don't see a path towards promotions. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that everybody throughout all the layers of your workforce knows how to speak to that, means that they're knowledgeable about how the talent team internally does identify talent for promotion. So making sure you're having that conversation with your managers in terms of here's how you can provide motivating language to your top players. And here's how those who come to you asking for upward mobility, here's what truly is available to them. And I said this once, but I'll say it again. We're living in a totally different world now with AI entering into the workplace and you could work in any field and AI is going to affect you. You don't need to be a top tech company for this to be um, an applicable statement to you. Um, You need to be able to talk about AI fundamentals and Mm -hmm. what is going to be required of your workforce. You know, we did a really big study a couple months ago and what we found is that over 70% of the average uh, workforce is leveraging AI at some point day to day in their career. Really? However, the vast majority is scared to talk to their manager about it. And so we have to break down that wall. Um, this is the biggest thing to happen since, you know, the internet browser coming into our day to day. So arming your managers with the correct language in terms of here's how you should be thinking about it. Here's what's mm-hmm. acceptable. Um, amazing. If you've already found ways to leverage this new technology to excel in your day-to-day mm-hmm. job, but then also making sure you're reiterating to them, like where investment's going to be made in them, because it's not just people right. who are data scientists or engineers that are going to feel yes. this new technology creep into their day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Everybody is. You and me should be taking AI fundamentals in order to be relevant even tomorrow right. in the workplace. Absolutely. And we had Catherine Minshew the CEO of the Muse on a few weeks ago on our podcast. And she talked about her research and about something called shift shock where Gen Z is 
reportedly being told certain things to get them hired into an organization, but then once they arrive, experiencing something very different. Are you seeing that with learning and development or upskilling? So are companies maybe with good intent thinking that they have their infrastructure in place to upskill and skill employees, but maybe they really don't? Yeah. What we are finding is that a lot of corporations will publicize the fact that they have skilling benefits. And Mm -hmm. so people will apply for a job with one idea of what the workplace was going to be like once they get there. But one of the things that we are seeing is that companies run into budget constraints. They hit their budget ceiling in terms of how much they're going to be investing in their workforce for any period of time. And at no fault of the employee's own, suddenly, you know, that quarter, their corporation is not going to be continuing their investment Mm -hmm. in skills programs. So it's almost as if you have to hit the timing just right, get hired at a time when budget has been unlocked and they haven't hit their ceiling yet. And that's really just not fair to Americans' workforce today, you know, being told that there is this benefit and then the game changing in terms of when and where it's going to be available to them. And then the last thing I will say is that everybody promises the idea of upward mobility. We (laughs) haven't seen the vast majority of corporations put their money where their mouth is and execute on that at scale. And so if there is a company who's listening and they're feeling like, you know what, we've really got to get a handle on Exodus, specifically with Gen Z, Mm -hmm. I would say like, you actually have a great problem. And your problem is that people want to work harder and excel and gain new skills and move up the corporate ladder with you. But you've got to show them how you have to make it extremely transparent. Mm -hmm. And I will, you know, admit that that's a lot of internal work that has to go in in terms of making those career pathways available to employees. Mm -hmm. But if done well, you can continuously hire from a pipeline of people that already work for it for you and maintain Mm -hmm. the workforce you already have and not have a retention problem. How does, or does it, skilling and upskilling relate to DE&I? You know, it's really uh, in the news It's probably a really big topic. It's such a big topic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot right now. And, you know, to kind of ground us in something tangible, as affirmative action uh, is a topic that's in the news and is starting to go away within corporation or within um, colleges. It's important to remember that for a long time, companies just use the college degree mm-hmm. as a means of sifting through all these resumes. If two people applied for a job, but this one had a college degree and this one didn't, right. um, they would go down whoever the person is that went to college. Affirmative action made it possible. So we had a pretty diverse group of individuals entering into the college space. With affirmative action going away, in addition to companies saying, I want to hire for uh, candidates who come from all types of educational backgrounds, alternative mm-hmm. pathways acceptable, they actually have no means of sifting through resumes, right? Hiring mm-hmm. based on skills is extraordinarily difficult um, today. And means that you can actually end up without having a diverse workforce if you don't have some of these systems in place in order to hire successfully for the skills that you are actually looking for. So I would say like this is a very hot topic today. Some of the best paths forward are for companies to do what we were talking about just a minute ago. Create those career pathways internally and then recruit from your internal workforce. Mm. And so are there ways to attract with affirmative action going away within colleges? I'm Mm -hmm. I'm hoping 
that our diverse population still does seek a college degree. But if they don't, mm-hmm. um, I still want them to have the best opportunity when they enter the workforce. So are there ways that companies can better attract diverse candidates? It, I, I'm sure simply by letting them know that they're skilling and upskilling an opportunity. Is there anything else that they should be doing? There's been a real push by the Jobs of the Future organization, which we partner with here at Chegg, to help mm. corporations get rid of degree requirements on mm. job recs that don't need it, right? It ended up kind of becoming a default over the course of the 80s and 90s to just say bachelor's degree required. But when mm. you really sit back and look at the actual tangible skills needed to be successful at the vast majority of entry-level and mid-scale roles at the companies that JFF has partnered with, they were finding actually, this is not necessary at all. By removing that degree requirement, you then open yourself up to have a much more diverse population of candidates apply for those jobs. So that's step one, like really thinking through where is a degree requirement necessary for you to be getting the candidates you want? And Mm -hmm. where are there abilities for you to source from other pipelines to get those candidates? The other way to make sure you're maintaining a diverse workplace is to make sure that the recruitment team internally, your talent acquisition teams, are thinking through where are graduates coming from, again, from alternative resources that have the skills we need for the jobs we want. The great thing about the professional certificate space, the boot camp space, et cetera, is that their syllabus are aligned with job ready skills. So if you are a head of talent acquisition and you're in charge of hiring, let's say, your entry-level data analytics team. Mm -hmm. The good news is your data team has told you what they need in terms of successful candidates, and they've used a certain set of terminology. You can then go to the bootcamp and professional certificate space, read through all the different curriculum within the different partners that are out there training individuals in data analytics and get to a really close match in terms Mm -hmm. of what your managers are asking you for and what graduates are coming from this alternative space um, are proficient in. So I highly encourage talent acquisition teams to be thinking through, like, what are these alternative pipelines that you could be seeking candidates from? At Chegg, we have a lot of our candidates, after as short as a six-month program, go in to succeed at companies like Accenture. And Accenture has done a wonderful job of realizing there's a lot of great entry-level candidates that we could be recruiting from, from the boot camp industry. Wow. That is interesting. I have never heard that before. And so I think what you're saying is someone who does pursue a certificate type program versus a full bachelor's degree may start seeing equal opportunity to enter a fabulous company like Accenture. Exactly. And the great thing is that a lot of the organizations who produce these programs are also doing a really good time uh, of adding mentors to the equation. So helping graduates Mm -hmm. speak to their job ready skills and be ready for that job interview, which makes it all the more easier as a head of talent acquisition when you are hiring from these alternative uh, pipelines. It's true because I think if you think back, even if you have, you know, I'm sure you have a bachelor's, probably a master's, you know, I do as well. And Yes. I mean, very, very, very beneficial for us moving forward. But a lot of that, at least with your undergraduate degree, is teaching you how to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it, think about your first job, your second job. You didn't leverage 
a majority of what you learned in college. Mm -hmm. And so it it's almost like this makes complete sense because it, as we think about the advent of YouTube and being able to go out and just Google something and learn about it and then quickly apply it, this next generation is the generation who's going to turn all of this up on its head and say, okay, here's if if you want us to be more valuable to the to your organization, we need to learn and then we can quickly apply. So I think that, you know, there's been a big shift in the market. And when we went to school, there was more of a mindset that you first learned and then you entered into the workforce mm -hmm. and applied it. And these were chaptered off experiences. Mm -hmm. Whereas now the modern learner is someone who sees themselves as a lifelong learner. So they're mm -hmm. happy to graduate from high school, go straight into the workforce and actually expect their employer to be their partner in terms of learning mm. along the way. And it's actually a far greater way for today's workforce to be learning because you have this much quicker feedback loop in mm. terms of learning and an application of skills, learning and an application of skills. And if we're going to, you know, work and live to be a hundred nowadays and have to work, you know, much later into life, it'd be silly to think that we're going to learn in a four-year degree everything we know to work mm -hmm. for 40 years after that, mm -hmm. what is actually the best way to work in an environment where technology is forever changing mm -hmm. and the life expectancy of the race is much greater and the amount of time we're going to be in the workforce is longer, we need to be thinking about mm -hmm. it as an evolving lifelong learning path versus, like I said previously, mm -hmm. these chaptered off experiences. So I find this interesting. I just made this note. It feels like there has also been a shift and onus to the employer. Yes. From the employee. And so that, that concerns me only from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, the first thing that companies cut when they're in a difficult environment, yeah. like we are right now, is L&D. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And they take the dollars away. They have completely annihilated training departments that used to be such a powerful force, both with education and exercising their culture, within teaching mm -hmm. people how to um, live their cultural values. So all that kind of went away. The good news is now they're going to rely on companies like yours and ours and and to train this new workforce. But what are some of the challenges that you're seeing with organizations today who maybe haven't even thought about that shift? Yeah, I agree with you. I think if done well, this could change the game, yes. you know, for today's workforce, but it's not all there yet. And let's, before we go to the challenges, let's quickly say what the positives are. The positive yes. is you could be graduating from high school without the financial means to go into college mm -hmm. and that not be the end for you in terms of continuing your learning. Right. You could apply for a job at an employer that values skills training and educational benefits and you could mm -hmm. enter into a job that will continuously invest in you and your learning while you're working. Talk about like providing access yes. and increasing diversity in the workplace. That is incredible. That yeah. is making a learning environment that's subsidized for uh, the mass amount of the workforce in a beautiful way. However, the challenges are exactly what you said, right? At the end of the day, benefits are benefits and they can go away given where we are um, in current revenue, in the market. 
the ways in which your company is responding to inflation. And so it can be volatile for some organizations. Mm -hmm. I think that the companies that understand that investment in their workforce actually is going to continuously allow them to hit their bottom line Mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to win longer term. And companies should be looking to what are the norms of the companies that are not slashing their budgets Mm -hmm. for skilling and training, et cetera. And how can they apply those best practices to them? But the other challenge is, you know, the tax subsidies for skilling in the U.S. are not huge. They're $5,250. And so if we were to really move the needle in terms of access, we would see adjustments made in Congress in terms of how much companies can write off Mm -hmm. the investments that they're making in their employees. There's been a lot of conversations as of late in terms of what should Pell Grants be applied to. And right now they don't apply fully to online training programs. You know who Mm. enrolls in fully online training programs? People who work full-time, people who have kids in school and are parents, people who are trying to juggle their caregiving with their full-time job. They don't have the luxury of showing up to live sessions online because their shift at work continuously changes. So if we want to talk about providing access, we need to be thinking through what are the incentives that government is putting in place Mm -hmm. for individual students to receive the appropriate financing for training and for the corporations to be able to grow the investment that they're making in their employees while still being able to manage their business financially responsibly. Absolutely. And as I'm listening to you explain all of this, I wrote down levels the playing field. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you can enter into a space where you can learn and work in tandem Mm -hmm. and do great things for your organization, then you eventually can afford yourselves the opportunities that anybody who got into a great four-year university did as well. Like that really is the future that we have in sight. Um, But like I said, it takes aligning incentives for corporations Mm -hmm. Um, in order for us to get there. It's interesting. We had Dr. Matt Pepsel, who Mm. is vice president at the Predictive Index on the podcast last week. And he was talking about his journey to leadership and about how he entered college because he felt like that's what he had to do. And he had Mm -hmm. like a 0.49 grade point average. (laughs) And he said, clearly it wasn't for me. So he entered um, the Marines. Okay. And then eventually came out and leveraged his GI Bill to go to school. And obviously now he's a PhD. And so, it, you know, I just think about people like him who at whatever point in their life, the ambition kicks in. Mm-hmm. And so now it's less about getting into a college and finding the funding for that. It's more about select a good employer yes. who's going to invest in you. Yes. If you have the right ambition, find that employer. I think you've said this so, so well. And the important thing to note is the skills he needed to be successful at one stage of his career were Mm -hmm. not the same skills he needed to be successful post leaving the Marines. And what's wonderful is that he had been socialized to the idea that I am a lifelong learner, that there's going to be multiple chapters to my learning, and then I'll be able to apply those skills to what jobs are available in today's marketplace. So perfectly said. So for our HR listeners, if Mm -hmm. they, if this is the first time that they're really hearing about skilling and upskilling, what advice would you give them to initiate skilling or upskilling within their own organization? I would say that it starts with a conversation with your senior most leaders, 
because you have to get executive buy-in in yeah. order to have not only a program like this, you know, greenlit from a budget perspective, but yeah. more importantly, for it to be adopted by your workforce. There are plenty of examples of companies who've been like, okay, we're rolling out a skilling strategy and nobody enrolled in any of the programs that they had yeah. available to them because it truly takes it being part of the values of an organization and coming from management below mm -hmm. in order for there to be buy-in. In order for you to get that buy-in, you need to be thinking through what are our business KPIs that we're trying to achieve and which ones of them could be unlocked with further investment in our employees' education, whether that be a retention goal, whether that be a revenue goal, whether that be an international expansion goal. All of these different types of things that are top of mind for your CEO, CFO, et cetera, in terms of the goals that your business is trying to achieve can be unlocked through skills education. And you got to think through which one of that is the most important to you and then provide a rollout strategy in alignment with that. So, for example, if retention is your goal and you're thinking through, gosh, we're really wasting a lot of money in employee turnover right now, mm -hmm. think through where can we be finding pathways towards upward mobility? All of our research has proven if you provide pathways towards upward mobility, you're going to retain your workforce. Great. Mm -hmm. What company or what roles are you over indexing for external talent from? Where could you be thinking through servicing candidates for those roles with internal talent? Align your strategy with that, the skill mm -hmm. strategy with that. And so there's lots of examples that we can go through with that. The other thing I would say is that there are wonderful skills providers out there, Check Skills being one of them, that will serve as a consultant to you, who will mm -hmm. truly help you think through how can I unlock the goals that we're trying to achieve with programs? You as a HR professional do not have to do this alone. Right. There are instructional designers within skills programs and providers all across um, you know, the country that are great at advising exactly what the mm -hmm. right solution is for you. Mm -hmm. And I would also say if you have a mass workforce and you're thinking through a lot of different goals, some retention, some talent, some that you want to achieve with even university degrees, mm -hmm. I recommend looking to a marketplace provider as well and rolling out a marketplace mm -hmm. solution like the folks at Guild who have done a phenomenal job at executing on one of those. Um, so, Long story short, as an HR professional trying to get started, one, buy-in from senior leadership. Two, what are the business goals that are most important to your company today? You can unlock those with skills education. And then three, go to the skills market. We are here and ready to have conversations with you and be advisors because this is certainly not something you can figure out in a silo by yourself. Absolutely. And then back to a point that you made earlier, I would suspect part B to that would be obviously get all of that going, but also be very mindful and conscious of the infrastructure, put an infrastructure in place so that your company benefits from yes. the value that these employees are receiving so that they have a career path so that they do stay, so that you do create a little bit of loyalty or stickiness for your organization. You know, step one is awareness internally. So that way your workforce mm -hmm. even knows this is available and awareness True. can look very different at lots of different levels. Folks who are in your brick and mortar stores, you need to have a different awareness campaign with them than you do with mm -hmm. your folks in your headquarter offices. And then the second one is you really got to get your talent teams on board. Recruitment yeah. and pathways for new roles internally need to be in alignment with the skills programs that you are rolling out. So 100%, well said. Are there any risks that 
HR teams that you've worked with have encountered that we could share with our HR audience so that they're aware of them and maybe can mitigate them before they encounter or, you know, it kind of sets them on a different trajectory? Yeah. You know, you're seeing this less and less, but it is something that was quite turbulent as short as two or three years ago, is organizations doing very like episodic training programs Mm. that were initiatives that would be rolled out, would get excitement from the workforce, and then would close, right? And then there would be a lot of these one-off initiatives. And for a workforce, that ends up being really confusing. It's like, what benefits are sustainably available to me? What training programs are actually important to my employer because it feels like the puck keeps moving in terms of where they're putting their time and attention. And so I would say, you know, yes, dipping your toe in the water is important and pilot organizations through programs or pilot groups through programs is always a good way to start. Mm -hmm. But don't start and stop a bunch of different little training programs. Think about your entire workforce when you're rolling this out, because that's what's going to build the trust with your workforce, that these are the types of things that you care about investing in. And then they can opt into it at a time that works for them. You have to remember that you're expecting a lot from your employees. They already work for you full time. And they want to learn on top of that. And they also have their real lives. So just because you roll this out in one six-month period doesn't mean you're going to get all the enrollments of everyone who's actually interested in it. You have to be thinking through when are people able to enroll. And, you know, the last thing that I'll leave you with with regards to this topic is that for us, when people did enroll in our programs and they came from one of our corporate clients, the number one reason that people stop the program and don't Mm. finish is access to childcare. So you have to remember that there are many things happening in your employee's life aside from their day-to-day work that could inhibit their abilities to perform in these programs. That doesn't mean they're not super excited to participate. They just have other things going on. Do companies, is it a best practice today then to keep in mind, particularly for women in the workforce with this challenge, that they Mm -hmm. offer the training during work hours? Yes. And I wouldn't say that that's the norm right now, I would say that that it would be a best practice for engagement, mm. but that is not the norm right now in the workplace. And I think if there were any space that or, or anything that would really advance our space and move the needle in terms of access to these programs, it would be for corporations to rethink the way that they provide childcare to their workforce, mm. specifically in areas where they think, you know, they're equipping their workforce with high demand skills for the business. Absolutely. Well, we could keep this conversation going for many, many, many more hours, but we are at the end of our podcast. And at the end, we do this thing called rapid fire questions. Okay. So these are one sentence questions with one sentence answers so that our audience gets to know you a little bit better. Are you willing to play? I'm willing to play. Let's see how it goes. All right, let's do this. What advice would you give to a smart driven college student about to enter the real world, or let's change that for you, not just a college mm-hmm. student, a high school graduate. I would say interview anyone who has a job of interest to you and ask them how they got there. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made in your career? And it could be an investment of money, time, energy, or person. Mm. I think the best investment I made was showing up to convenings in person 
of both our buyer and other leaders in the space um, to hear firsthand how they do the same work that we do within their organization. Can't overestimate how important in-person stuff is. Absolutely. Who's getting employee upskilling right today? Who's getting employee upskilling right today? I mentioned Accenture. They're doing a phenomenal job hiring Mm. from alternative talent pools and providing upward mobility internally. Best Buy, another leader, their retention Mm. rates are higher than anyone you will hear. And it's because they do provide those internal pathways and make those investments in employees. So I would say both Accenture and Best Buy are leaders. What's the biggest challenge the learning industry is facing today or even in the next five years? Skills-based hiring. What is the biggest problem you or your team solved in the last year? And this can be more than one sentence. The biggest thing we solved in the last year is how to apply AI training to mm-hmm. all of the other programs that we already have. It is not to exist in a silo as a separate career track, but is actually it needs to be an application across everything uh, that we do in work today. Love it. What are you currently reading or have recently read that you would recommend to our Voices of HR audience? Oh, I read Who recently, the recommendation of my executive coach, which was very helpful in terms of making sure you're getting the right talent on your team at the right time. What's the main takeaway you want to leave listeners with today? There is no need to wait to make an investment in your workforce as it relates to skills education. And it is not a auxiliary benefit or perk on the side. Actually, your fundamental business objectives will be unlocked once you start to invest in skills education. Today, we have been joined by Megan O'Connor, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Chegg Skills. Thank you again for joining me, Megan. It has been such a pleasure. Well, thank you. Great to be here. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.